Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, y'all, Jamie here. Today's show, we have a woman on here who I was so intrigued with this interview that I wanted to just fly on out to California and have breakfast with her. That would just be dreamy. Uh, Today on the show is Kathy Laurie. Kathy became a Christian during the Jesus Movement in 1970. Uh, She directs a women's ministry at Harvest Christian Fellowship, which she's been doing that for decades. She's married to her husband, Greg, almost 50 years. They've got two kids, five grandkids, and her life feels so full. I look at her, and I was looking at her Instagram earlier in the week, and I just thought, it feels so full, and here she is continually continually finding ways of how she can point people to Jesus. Well, this is a fun way because a movie comes out nationwide today on February 24th. It's called Jesus Revolution. And here's the gist of the movie. Okay, so I am a little bit nervous about Christian movies. And I tell Kathy this today in the interview. But here's the gist of it. In the 70s, young Greg Laurie, which is Kathy's husband, he's searching for all the right things in all the wrong places. And then he meets Lonnie Frisbee, who Side note, is played by Jesus from The Chosen. Uh, He's a charismatic hippie street preacher. And together with Pastor Chuck Smith, which, by the way, is played by Kelsey Grammer, they opened the doors of Smith's Languaging Church to an unexpected revival of radical and newfound love, leading to what Time Magazine dubbed a Jesus revolution. It's basically this movie. It's a historical telling of the story about faith and revival told through real life experiences, one of them being Kathy, who's on the show today. So we talk about her coming to faith. She tells the story about how she was introduced to Jesus, what her life looked like afterwards. And then we talk about this film and her hopes for it. So I want to tell you, I've seen the movie. I highly recommend it. It's out in theaters today. But here's my conversation with Kathy Laurie. And go get your tickets for the movie. Go check it out this weekend. It's best to go see a movie on opening weekend if you want to let them know, hey, this movie matters. So check it out this weekend with your friends. Kathy, welcome to the happy hour. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to have you on because we're talking about something that you would have never imagined. I'm only I'm only assuming. You can tell mm-hmm. me if you would have imagined. I'm only assuming you would have never imagined that you would be having this conversation on a podcast um, this time oh, in your no. life. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's we're 50 years down the road from when the Jesus Revolution happened in my life. And so, yeah, no, if you would have told me this as a 15-year-old girl in high school that this was going to be happening, I would have thought you were just hallucinating. <laughs> well, this is exciting. So um, we're going to talk about the film, uh, Jesus Revolution. And I did get the privilege to see it a couple of uh, about a month ago and loved it, loved it, loved it. It releases to the public today. But let's backtrack a little bit, introduce people okay. to you and what you currently do right now. And then we're going to go way back 50 years. <laughs> Well, I'm currently, as I have been for the last almost 50 years, be 50 years next year, uh, married to Pastor Greg Laurie, who from the moment I met him felt this is what God wanted him to do was to to preach the gospel and disciple believers. And Mm -hmm. so I've been a pastor's wife for 50 years. I have a thriving women's ministry. I'm very passionate about that. And um, I've been leading that for almost 40 years, over 35 years. And um, I, uh, yeah, this is a whole new phase, this whole 
uh, release of this film has taken us into a whole sphere of communication and telling our story that we have never experienced, at least not on this level. Mm. And yeah, so currently I'm a grandmother. I have five grandchildren. I had, I have two boys, um, Christopher, who uh, went to be with the Lord at the age of 33 in 2008. And then I have a son, Jonathan, who is serving with his dad and me at the church. And um, I have five grandchildren, two from Christopher and three from Jonathan. So as you have a very full life. life. Very full. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're super close to our grandkids. We're super involved at the church. Greg is dreaming big dreams, doing crusades and a lot of other things, um, books and radio and TV. So trying to keep up with him as I have I been love it. for almost 50 <laughs> years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I should have had a little indication this was coming because when Chuck Smith performed our wedding in 1974, he pronounced Greg and Lori man and wife. And so, not Greg and Kathy, Greg and Lori. And the whole place cracked up. Greg laughed so hard he almost tore the veil off my head. And then when we walked down the aisle out off the platform after we had been pronounced man and wife, I was struggling to keep up with him. He was not waiting for me in my little satin dress. But um, that's the way it's been. I'm just trying to keep up with my husband and all that God's doing in and through his life. I love it. When did you guys start the church that you're at right now? In 1974. This is what I want to to talk to you about as well as the movie as well. Is like, yeah, that is just uncommon. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not a thing. And so I'm even sitting here as my husband's a pastor at a church as well. And we've been here since 2008. And you just don't Mm -hmm. see that much. And so I think Mm -hmm. I want to just before we even get to the film, before I even I want to ask you how you started following Jesus. I just would love to hear like, what is it? I remember when I talked to Kay Warren a couple months ago after her and Rick had um, just retired. And I asked, like, what is it that has kept you like faithful Mm -hmm. to the church and faithful to each other? Because as someone who's, you know, (laughs) married almost 22 years and on this journey, like I look at you and I looked at your Instagram and you're having these sleepover parties with your grandkids and all the ministries (laughs) that you're leading. And I literally Mm -hmm. thought to myself, Jesus, let this be true for me too. Like I want to be this faithful follower with my family and my church just like you have and um just i know it's a big question but what is that what has been the faithful the thing that has kept you faithful for all these years wow um it's the thing that kept us in the very very beginning and that hasn't changed and that is greg and i are completely different people if you've ever listen to him or know anything about him. He is, he has a different personality. He had a different upbringing. Um, we are totally different. And yet, um, God called us together. We mm. broke up three times in our short courtship before we said, I do. And what has kept us together is Jesus. It's mm. been, um, Jesus first. And you'll see that in the dialogue in the film where Greg says to Kathy, if you ever get between me and my relationship with the Lord. And I, that really did happen when we first started moving from being just friends into, mm. I don't know, old fashioned word courting each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, 
it was such a relief to me that he loved God more than he loved me. Mm. And I was like, hey, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I do not want some lapdog of a husband or a boyfriend who's going to be asking me every five minutes, well, what do you want to do, honey? Mm. What's important? You know, we both wanted to follow Jesus. And, you know, that has led to... um a life of joy and uh, reconciliation and lots of forgiveness and all of the above. And, you know, he has kept us. He's been faithful. And mm. I think the most important thing is you keep your relationship with God as fresh and as real as you possibly can. Because there's, you know, there's ups and downs. I mean, my gosh, you know, Greg's often joked. He says, I've been married to five different women and they're all named Kathy Laurie. <laughs> and, um, we you go through the phases of your life you know mm-hmm. you're single you're newly married you're having children you're birthing a ministry you're raising teen teenagers you're you yourself are going through especially as female you know we go through all our wonderful uh, <laughs> evolution yep. as women i think uh, women's bodies are so amazing our whole our whole makeup is so different from men and yeah. and we have to learn to navigate all of yeah. those changes within ourselves but um it's possible with Christ it's possible that is such good news um for people who are listening and even maybe even dating or early in marriage is mm-hmm. i say the same thing we've been only married for two decades but i'm a different person than mm-hmm. when i got married you know and Aaron my husband is a different person and it is so true that if your whole identity is wrapped up in that person and then they change it's really really difficult when life gets hard <laughs> and you guys have endured some hard things you know and so yeah. having that stay as the center is it's it's it is monumental for mm-hmm. things to last the long haul. Well, I, I think that's also what makes um, marriage so um, so amazing is that we grow. Mm. And I I would say change is one way to put it. Another way is growing and maturing and yeah. deepening and. And I, I believe that the Holy Spirit within us doesn't want us to stay the same. He mm-hmm. wants us to be more and more conformed into the image of Christ and yet still respecting exactly who we are. I mean, when I think back and I say, oh, yeah, Greg's changed. I changed. Yes and no. I mean, the essence, the the essence of why I fell in love with Greg and he, the kernel of who he is and his personality and, and the same for me we are still mm-hmm. we are still who we are only hopefully a more refined and mellowed and beautiful uh, version of ourselves that we completely. want to but it, it can be messy <laughs> completely this is why Aaron and I say and you can attest to this we always say we're going to be amazing grandparents cuz you're older <laughs> and you're chiller and you're not so stressed out about everything and I'm like yeah. man if only we had kids in our 60s like I that would be so it's <laughs> like we'd be exhausted but we'd be so much more chill with our with our with our kids totally um, <laughs> when Greg and I were we had our first when I was just 19 and he was let's see he's 3 years older so he was like what 20 22 mm-hmm. and so you know we really raised a child when I, I think of myself as I look at my granddaughter who is going to be 18 in March of next year, actually May of next year. Yeah. Anyway, she, um, I was thinking I was engaged at her age. I'm like, and you can't even believe world? it. I know. I can't even believe it. And, um, but I will say that having a child when I was really young, I was in a hurry. I wanted him to walk. Mm. I wanted him to talk. I wanted him to read. I wanted him to be able to tie his own shoelaces. Then I had Jonathan 
11 years later and yeah. I was in my 30s and I was like, slow down. That went by too fast. Yeah. And so there's, there's, I had a lot my, more energy to chase around yeah. a two year old than I did in my 30s. I can't even imagine a lot of, a lot of uh, women are having kids into their 40s yeah. now. Yeah. Um, you're just different. You just, yeah, there's yeah. advantages to both. There are definitely advantages to both. Enjoy the journey. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. I want to talk about this film and... More important than the film, I want everyone to go see the film. Kathy, I'll be real honest with you. You might feel this way as well. Sometimes I hear about like Christian movies or a movie about Jesus, and you're like, 
I don't know. Is this going to be cheesy? Like, I remember when The Chosen first came out, I was like, I'm not watching it, you guys, because I just don't know. And now I love it. I think they're doing such good work over there. Um, and when I when the movie came across me, I was like, I don't know, you guys. Like, a, a movie about a Jesus. They're going to mess this up. I can't even handle it. And I loved it. They did such a great yeah. job. And I know you guys probably had some input yeah. in that for sure. And you had such a great job. But I want to hear from you. Tell me... Mm your journey of falling in love with Jesus and like how it, that all plays into this movie and the Jesus revolution. I just mm -hmm. tell me about your falling in love with Jesus, your faith journey. I want to just jump on something you said about Christian films being cheesy. And um, oh God, I didn't mean that to be mean. I, I, I don't want to throw, I, I don't mean to be demeaning either, but I honestly f have not enjoyed most Christian films because they always seem to, uh, saccharine. They're a little just too one-dimensional for me. I know life is way more complicated. Things don't get tied up neatly in bows. So when this movie was, um, John Irwin became a friend. He wanted to meet somebody who had been through the Jesus movement. And he was fascinated by that Time Magazine cover, um, which said Jesus Revolution. And so he wanted to meet somebody. He met Greg. He started to hear his story. And then he he wanted to make this movie about that movement, a revival, but he felt like he needed to tell it through the lens of a person's life, a character. Mm -hmm. And so he, that was when he started saying, I want to tell your story, Greg. And he interviewed Greg and me, and that was about five or plus, maybe six years ago. I was so apprehensive. Mm. I will tell you the honest truth. I just thought, oh, no. They're going to tell my story. They're going to talk about my parents. They're going to talk about my sister. They're going to, and then, and then I had not really seen Christian films live up to the complexities and the hard heartaches and the unexplainable messiness of Christian life. And 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 it is messy, and we mm -hmm. had messy lives. And so I wasn't sure. I read the script. I was still apprehensive. I wasn't even. As we watched the film being made, I did see my character, Anna Grace, do a Zoom um, interview, uh, not interview, audition. Uh -huh. And I loved her. She brought the lines to life mm. and brought flesh to those cold words on yeah. that script page. Because as I read the script, I was like, seriously, you're going to oh, say wow. those things? You're going to yeah. say that line? Having said all that, he did an amazing job. Yeah. I am so happy he has done this. I am, I feel very privileged that he did such a good job of it. And telling my story, which, um, you know, I was <laughs> raised in Southeast Asia. I grew up in um, the Philippines, Thailand, and Malaysia. My dad worked for Standard Oil. I was raised by a very devout Spanish mother who was a Roman Catholic and um, church every Sunday, every holy day. Um, these are in the days when the mass was still in Latin, when um, when you couldn't eat for 12 hours before receiving Holy Communion. Mm. I mean, we were really raised old school, strict Roman Catholic. Um, and as a child, I never really, uh, really loved it. Uh, I know some who did. I had friends who were, that felt sorry for their sins and love Jesus and all of that. I, I was just going through the motions. And when um, 
When the whole hippie thing began to happen, I had two older sisters, Mary and Dodie, who are kind of a combined character in the film. Um, my oldest sister's five years older than I was. So I was in, you know, like just starting high school, end of junior high. She was already in college. And the whole hippie thing just came like gangbusters, you know? And there was this authentic, and I believe a real real honest search for something more than what we were seeing um, in culture and life. And, uh, you know, the Vietnam War was in full force. People were coming home in body bags. There was the assassination of JFK. And then later on his brother, there were race riots. There was all of the upheaval mm -hmm. that you think of in the 60s. And this... Um, prosperity that kind of swept into the into America after World War II. Everybody had their own homes. Things were June Cleaver and all of that. And yet there was a generation of young people that were just like looking at the emptiness of it all mm. and saying, there's got to be something more. Introduce the Beatles and introduce psychedelic drugs and introduce a search, a deeper search and uh, anti-war sentiment mm -hmm. and all of that. And my sisters got swept up into it. And I was pretty young. I mean, I was like 13 when I watched this all coming down. And um, actually, to be honest with you, I was terrified by what changes I was seeing in them. I didn't know they were taking drugs, but I just saw this incredibly different these two sisters of mine who I knew become yeah. like different personalities. They disconnected from my parents. They spent a lot of time in their room listening to music and dressing differently, acting differently. And I was like, what is happening to you guys? What mm -hmm. happened? And they told me they were taking drugs and they mm. smoked pot and they said it was just amazing and it was just like eye-opening and it was um, spiritual and it was all this stuff. And although I was terrified because I saw changes in them that I didn't really like, at the same time, their description made me very curious. Mm. Long story short, I began to smoke pot. I began to take drugs, took LSD. Um, we moved from Southeast Asia to Southern California. My dad um, resigned his job with Standard Oil and began another career altogether. And so we ended up in Southern California right in the throes of the whole Woodstock mm -hmm. hippie thing. And right at the same time, there was something stirring, an uh, undercurrent stirring, and there was the Jesus movement in the beginning. And so here we are, these three sisters doing drugs, um, hiding all of that from our parents. Um, I, I would say that I was as liberal as you could ever imagine. Every cop was a pig when they drove by. Mm. Um, I didn't relate to my parents any longer. Um, I was all about the whole uh, tune in turn on drop out. My dream at the time was to go to college and join the Students for a Democratic Society, the Weathermen, which was a very scary, um, looking back, became a very violent um, organization that was um, rooted in, you know, this liberal uh, I don't, I don't know, liberal, very leftist philosophy. Mm -hmm. So that was that was where I was at. Even though yeah. I was just like fourteen years old, I had older sisters. So we are at my sister's college campus one night, and we're sitting in a circle because we heard there was a um, a concert in the student lounge at Long Beach City College. So we're sitting in the circle. I had my best friend from junior high who I just met, um, who was also. Uh, following the same sort of mindset mm -hmm. were smoking pot. And these guys who 
we saw out of the corner of our eye come walking up to us and they were hippie looking guys, long mm-hmm. hair. And, you know, I'd been to love-ins at the park. I'd been to concerts with my sisters. And that was not unusual to have anyone who was kind of in that world, the hippie world. The whole idea was we're going to, we're going to change the world by being kind and loving and share everything that we are and everything that we have. And so these guys came walking up to us, but they didn't sit down in the circle. We thought they were going to come smoke pot because that's what we were doing. Mm -hmm. It's like, why you want to get high? And they said, no. And they just stood there instead of sitting in the circle with us. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, because we found what we were looking for. And I was like, oh, yeah? Well, what is that? And they said, well, we found what we were looking for when we were getting high was really a connection and a relationship with God. And I was like, oh, well, okay, that sounds interesting. And then I said, well, what does that even look like? Well, they told us that it was a relationship with God, but it was through Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, I had stopped pretty much going to church with Mm -hmm. my parents. My idea of Christianity was that Jesus was this cool guy and um, very misunderstood. I had a picture, a poster on my wall that said, wanted Jesus Christ for insurrection, Mm -hmm. for this, for that. You know, I I thought Jesus was cool, but I thought Christianity is dead. Mm -hmm. There's nothing there. There's nothing in the church that I see. I don't see people in this church even talking about Jesus. They don't Mm -hmm. seem to have any spiritual connection at all. And here I was taking drugs and LSD and experimenting with Eastern religion, meditation. I kept wanting a spiritual connection with God, whatever and whoever he might be. And um, so when they said they found this relationship with God that was so fulfilling that they didn't need drugs anymore. They didn't want drugs anymore. I was very curious. Mm. But when they said Jesus Christ, I was like, I mean, you have to realize I was high and I was like, okay, so yeah, you found this through Jesus Christ. And then I just started to giggle. I started to laugh at them and laugh at the absurdity of it all. And I began laughing to the point where I couldn't control myself. I, ha- I, I sat in the circle with, and I put my hands over my face. And as I am laughing, Jamie, this, is, this was my encounter with God. I am laughing at them. I am laughing at the thought of what they were saying. I, I, I was also laughing at the idea that perhaps these were older guys, which they were, and they were playing mind games with me. And I wasn't going to be a fool. And so I'm just laughing blowing Mm -hmm. it off. And in my laughter, with my eyes closed and my hands over my face, this thought, like like an arrow, comes in my mind. And this is exactly what I heard, although it wasn't audible. It was the words that said to me, what you are laughing at is holy and true and good, and you are on your way to hell. Wow. It was like, what? And I, I literally felt demonic, like there was something very demonic about my laughter. And I put my hands down from my face and I looked up and I said, okay, so what did you do? And they said, we prayed and we asked God to forgive us of our sins and to come into our life and to be our, our Lord and Savior. I mean, I don't remember exactly the words, yeah. but I knew what they said it was as simple as that so we went inside to the to the um concert not knowing this was one of the very very earliest jesus people bands 
out there. It was a band, acid rock band named Agape. Okay. The guy would play, and then he preached. And he said, in this student lounge where there were about 20 college students and me and my friend, they said, at the end of this, they, they gave their testimonies on how they had gotten saved. And they had come out of the same sort of mindset and background, so I could really relate. They said, you know, if you want to receive Jesus, stand to your feet right now. And it was like, of course I do. How could I say no? And I stood up and right then and there, gave my life to Jesus. And it, and then the next night, those three hippie guys that came over <laughs> said, do you want to go to church? And it was like, heck yeah, the church you're going to, I'll go to that church. So they came and picked us up. Why my parents ever let me go, I have no idea. They pull up in this beat up old car and they say, I said, well, we're going to church. And they let their 15-year-old daughter, their 17-year-old daughter, and their 21-year-old daughter get in the backseat with these guys and go to a church. Right. And they looked pretty radical. And that was Calvary Chapel. And that's when I heard Lonnie Frisbee preach. Wow. And it changed your life. Completely. At 15 years old. Oh, yeah. And the next day, I mean, I really, really had a relationship with God. And I knew what I was doing was wrong and I was going to stop. And the next morning, as if getting ready for school, the next day, I'm getting dressed and I'm thinking, I'm so full of joy. I'm thinking to myself, God, what do you want me to wear today? Mm. All of a sudden, how I dressed, and I was pretty edgy the way I dressed in those days. What is it you want me to wear? What do you want to do in my life today? Who am I going to talk to and tell about you? And that was totally a 180 degree yeah. turnaround for me. That was not me. I right. didn't care about God. Never even thought that he was real. Maybe he was real once upon a time. Right. And for maybe certain saints, but not for me. Mm. It can mm. happen. I mean, that's that's the kind of eye-opening darkness to light experience that I had. Yeah. It changed my life. And I, I talk about it today. I still, it's still, it's still the same Jesus, only I know him so much better. <laughs> mm. You know, we hear about that movement and that time and- mm -hmm. When you were mm -hmm. talking, a lot of the things that you were even saying about how you and your sisters were searching for something, like there's nothing new. Everyone is still searching for something like that. That is not a new phenomenon. That is humanity no. searching to be connected to God. Um, but I think about that. And honestly, Kathy, I have been following Jesus since I was 21. And that Jesus movement is really hard for me to understand. Like, yeah. because I, yeah. unless you were there and a part of it, mm -hmm. it feels so foreign to me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so- mm -hmm. You experience that. You've yeah. been through that. What is your like hope for for now? Like everyone's <laughs> like, we need revival, revival, and and I have some friends who are, are really plugged mm -hmm. in, and they're like, revival's mm -hmm. coming, like it is coming. Yeah. You've lived through this. What do what do you feel about now versus then? <laughs> oh man. Um, well, the sexual revolution that we. Uh, endorsed and believed in in the late 1960s, um, it seems almost quaint compared to what we're seeing in the world today. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are seeing, you know, how many different gender options that you can choose. Um, mm -hmm. And if you can't find one, you can make one up. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing um, more diversity in mindset and intolerance um, 
tolerance towards anything and anyone and any philosophy except for Christianity. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more divide, division um, politically as a nation. Mm-hmm. I think more than even during the Vietnam War. I think mm-hmm. we are more, the lines are more clearly divided. So we are seeing what we saw in the 60s and 70s uh, blown up on, he's a, you know, idiom, on steroids. It's mm-hmm. just gone. It's gone wild. And yeah. we are so ready <laughs> for Jesus to come and move into this culture and move in in, a, in some way. And what is that going to look like? And who are the, and I've been asked this question in a few different interviews and, and wondered, and Greg and I have talked about this together. What Chuck Smith did when he let the hippies in we were not cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the movie, it's like one of the stayed um, congregants says to Pastor Chuck, he says, you know, they're coming in here and the girls are wearing halter tops and half of them don't wear shoes and they need to, they need to not, they need to go get a job. They need to go home. And le- this is not a place for them. And I'm thinking, who are those people today mm-hmm. that we have said, not them? Mm-hmm. Or we can't even imagine being saved. Greg yeah. does this whole funny routine where he has Chuck Smith saying, and now Madonna will be leading us in worship. Mm-hmm. And it was like, we would laugh about it because it would be things Chuck Smith would never say. Right. Madonna's going to lead us in worship. Uh-huh. It's like, what if? Yeah. What if something like that? I mean, who is outside of the the possibility of Jesus changing their lives? Nobody. Nobody. So we look at the culture today and I think that... Um, I think Christians have forgotten the power of the gospel. I think you have to read the book of Acts. You have to read the gospels and see Jesus was always out for the outsider. He was Mm -hmm. always widening his circle, bringing in, um, whether it was Samaritans or centurions or in, you know, the book of Acts, the Gentiles and the circle goes wider. I'm thinking who had, and of course, every time that happened, whether it was Jesus or the apostle Paul, there was the establishment that said, not them, not mm-hmm. them. They don't qualify. Yeah. They don't belong. Yeah. And so I, I know that God can reach anyone. I don't know, you know, who you want to label as the quote unquote yeah. outcast, the lepers of our day, mm-hmm. the Samaritans the of our day, the hippies of our day. There's always somebody outside the church that we need to be praying for and loving. And that was what rocked our world was we came into a church where there were people who looked like us, where Chuck and Lonnie talked about the gospel and talked about the transformation that Jesus can bring, bringing purpose and meaning and hope. It was never political. Mm-hmm. It was never, um, you dirty hippies, mm-hmm. get your act together and mm-hmm. you girls stop dressing the way you're dressing, get some shoes, go get a job. All of, It was the Holy Spirit did that sanctifying work. And I, I will say the conviction of sin and repentance was every much a part of that loving message, but we weren't being bludgeoned with, right. we are so bad and mm-hmm. we are so wrong and we were so, you know, rebellious and out of it. It was, it was love that won us. Um, mm. Jamie, I haven't seen anything like this happen to this degree in the church since. Revival is messy, it's amazing, it's scary, Mm -hmm. it's beautiful, it's life-changing. And um, when we pray for revival, 
I think we we want revival in our own little neat little context, mm-hmm. but revival, if you study revivals, it's, they are unexpected. And until you're ready to be turned upside down and mm. everything's shaken out of your pockets and see what the Holy Spirit is doing, I, I don't think you're really going to be quite ready for what God has in mind, but I am so praying for it. Mm. And um, the church needs to get back to the message of loving loving those who are outside. Mm. Our call is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And and that's that's the call. But what that looks like in our context, within our cities and our communities and our neighborhoods, I think it, we really uh, we really need to get serious, the people of God. Yes, so fascinating where, you know, the call to revival. If my people who are called by my name, we've heard it and heard it and heard it. Humble themselves and pray. It's like, He's pointing his finger at the church. Mm. It's like, get it together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We dwell on a lot in our lives. We dwell on some problems. We dwell on the past. We often wake up first thing in the morning and our minds are already dwelling on it. Whatever it could be of our crazy schedules, worrying about our health, tough periods of parenting, sadness over loss, the list goes on and on and on. And sometimes it seems impossible to do anything but dwell on it. That is why dwell was created because we can dwell differently. Dwell is a Bible memorization tool. You can easily memorize one Bible verse for every month. One of my favorite ones that we have memorized so far is Romans 12, 12, which says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And in fact, I keep the tag that they send me on my key ring and so I can look through them. And just today, I pulled that up and said that verse out loud. Dwell offers memberships that starting at $9.95 per month. Some of the memorization tools that you get include temporary tattoos, vinyl stickers, art prints. You guys, this is a great, great, great thing for families to have, for teenagers to have, to help with little kids. Go to dwelldifferently.com. Use code Jamie15 for 15% discount on a prepaid membership. That's dwelldifferently.com. The tagline for the movie is when you open your heart, there's room for everyone. And I think that is a lot of this conversation as well. It's like, who are we not willing to let in? Like you said, like, who are those of the day? And um, I'm, I really love how you're saying everyone wants revival, but it, it's messy and it's hard. And um, I think that is something that I don't, I, because I, I wasn't alive then and I didn't live through that. It's really comfortable in America, you know, and so our sometimes that comfort we miss out on on what there could be because this is just kind of really easy, you know, and so I think that is a barrier for us yeah when i when I became a Christian, I went to school junior high was not that back in those days ninth ninth grade was still junior high <laughs> um I sat in front of a girl that I'd sat in front of for the last six months since school started in September when I when I moved to California. And um, I was very open about who I was and what I thought. Um, she was more, you know, um, she was just different than I was, you know. And so we didn't really relate to one another, but she knew where I was coming from and she knew what I was doing. And when I got saved, I went to school the next morning and sat in history class and turned around to the girl sitting behind me. And I said, you will not believe what happened to me last night. Mm. 
And I started to tell her about how I met Jesus and that how much love I had experienced. And she looked at me and she goes, oh, that's so great. I'm a Christian too. And you know what I thought? This is what I actually thought. I thought, no, you're not. Not if you were a Christian. Wow. Why did you never tell me? She probably just wrote me off. I probably scared right. her. Yeah. Probably thought she, you know, anybody but her uh-huh. would receive a message about Jesus. But I was like, why didn't you even tell me? And so wow. I feel like the church is like that girl. It's like those people, ah, they're a little too out there. I'm not going to talk uh, to them. Uh. But they're searching for God is what a lot yeah. of this um, behavior that we look at in the world today is like, it's just a way to feel you're loved, mm. a way to feel you belong somewhere, a way to feel that you have, you know, you have significance and meaning mm-hmm. as an individual. And Jesus answers all those questions mm-hmm. better than anyone else. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to compare philosophies, he's got the best thing yeah. to offer. We have that treasure within us and in our lips and in our hearts. And yet so often we're, we're silent about it. Mm. Um, this film that is based off this movement in your life, it comes out today, you guys in theaters, you can go watch it. And I've seen it. I want to ask you this, Kathy, as we talk about the film, and I appreciate your apprehension about it at the beginning, not only because you're like, Oh, my gosh, it's a Christian <laughs> film, what are they going to do? But also like, this is my life. Like, hello, this is what we're mm-hmm. dealing with here. Mm-hmm. What do you hope yeah. for moviegoers um, when they leave uh, the theater? Mm-hmm. What do you hope for them to experience mm-hmm. and feel? Oh, man, there's, um, there's two two deep prayers of my heart. Um, One is that the young people of today who feel misunderstood or they can't relate to what we would have called the establishment, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, counterculture types, that they will see that the things that they're really looking for and striving for, peace, unity, acceptance, um, freedom, love, all of those things, there is a God in heaven who loves Mm. them. And has a beautiful plan for their lives and sees every piece of their life. And he is the one who brings purpose and meaning and joy that is um, lasting. So I pray for that. And then the other thing I pray for is the the established church, and of which I am a part, you know, that we would never lose sight of the fact that there are, and America is becoming increasingly um you know, the religion of the nuns, you know, they're just Mm -hmm. people either who have left Christianity, um, like I left the Catholic Church Mm -hmm. at one point, left, turned my back, thinking there's nothing there, I don't relate, or they simply have grown up like Greg and never had any any, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. teaching about who God is. And I pray that the church would see that they have this amazing opportunity just outside their doors and start Mm -hmm. living and loving and serving and praying for those outside and stop pointing fingers and marginalizing people with hate. And there's huge movement in this country to kind of um, enact change through politics. And I, listen, my values are as conservative as they come, but I know having lived through a very rebellious stage of my life that all the government tracks that my father gave me about drugs and about how this could ruin your life and enacting it from the outside is not going to work. Mm. It isn't. It's got to be a change of heart. And we, you know, while we vote and we 
definitely do the right things that we can. Um, it's not going to be what it's going to take to change a generation, to cause people to be moral on the outside by passing laws or electing certain people into the office. Let's just realize, yes, do what you can, but know the power is in the gospel mm. to change hearts. Yeah. And we see it in our, I mean, we're not seeing the kind of revival like, um, just spectacular things that we saw in the Jesus movement. Mm -hmm. But we see every week when Greg gives an invitation, we'll see, we'll see gangbangers and kids and children and people who are broken coming mm -hmm. to the altar to pray to receive Christ. And, you know, we have to just remember God, God's going to change those people inside out. Like he changed us inside yeah. out, Yeah, you know? Yeah, and it's. I was going to say, it's just like the story that you told earlier when you when the three guys were telling you what it, they had found that had mm -hmm. changed their life, and that mm -hmm. that really is that that offering that we have uh, to people. Yeah. And this movie is yeah. beautiful because it really does just highlight that God cares for and He loves broken people, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and thank goodness because that's where we all are. You know, they're all mm -hmm. of us are broken, and so He yeah. just loves us in spite of our hurt and our pain and he puts us together mm -hmm. and makes us whole um and so it's really really beautiful well i want everyone to go see it i've already seen it and i'm the only one in my family that's seen it because i watched it here at the office and so i'm going to take i'm going to take all all my people so we're going to go awesome. to see it yeah. here in austin and so it'll be great uh before we go i'd love to ask you what are you reading these days jamie wants to know jamie wants to know we want to know what you're reading Okay, so to be totally honest, uh, I am currently <laughs> reading All Creatures Great and Small. <laughs> I like TV is such a wasteland, and I love the PBS series, and I never read the book, so I'm, I'm looking at that. Um, recently, I read an amazing testimony like I'd never heard before by Andrew Claven, a book called The Great Good, okay. which is the most stunning testimony <laughs> I have ever he is just a fascinating person to begin with. And his story of conversion was so different than mine, uh -huh. but it was just, to me, it was almost like a C.S. Lewis kind of conversion. Um, but anyway, that I read, I thought that was an excellent book. Okay. That, that is um, not fiction. And neither is All Creatures Great and Small. Yeah. That was a true yeah. story as well. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, I'm, of course, I'm reading the Bible. Yes. <laughs> reading the Bible, study, you know, yeah. commentaries and different uh -huh. authors. Yeah. I love, you know, Christian writers, but. I love hearing stories and I love mm. hearing, like today, even your story of coming to know Jesus. We usually, we do a whole series in the summer here of just people's like, tell me how mm -hmm. you came to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really beautiful mm -hmm. because I think stories change the world and hearing your story yeah. and then yeah. the book that you read or anybody's story, we just go like, man, it reminds us mm -hmm. that Jesus is in the business of changing lives. And so it's really, really beautiful. Um, Kathy, I'm super mm -hmm. honored to have you on the show. Congrats on the movie. I guess I should say congrats. This is, <laughs> this is all exciting. Mm -hmm. This is yeah. really exciting. And so I want everyone to go see the movie as well. Yeah. Well, just pray for the lasting impact that this movie might have. And, you know, really one really important thing for, I think, all your listeners to recognize in a time when we're seeing everything so messed up. I mean, you don't have to even say what it is. We all right. know what it is. It's just messed up out there. Mm -hmm. To have a Hollywood film studio like Lionsgate. Mm spend tens of millions of dollars 
to tell a story which is centered on the gospel changing a generation, changing individuals' lives yeah. Yeah. with the title Jesus Revolution is nothing short of miraculous. I mean, I, you, I, it in is. my mind, you could put that right up there with Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus underwriting the Jews going back to Jerusalem. I, to me, the possibility that God could work mm. and I can't explain why they're motivated to do this. Uh-huh. I imagine there's some dollars involved uh-huh. in that. But honestly, we need to be praying. And it, we pray for Hollywood. We pray for those. Uh, we're talking about the outsiders that we just wash our hands of. Evil, evil, mm-hmm. condemn, protest, boycott. Don't do, you know. Here is a secular studio mm-hmm. like Lionsgate. At the top of their game, one of the top studios taking the money that they have and making this as beautiful a film as it is, spending all that to do this and then to promote it, to me is a sign. And it doesn't shy away from the gospel. I mean, it is not like a watered down film. I mean, I remember watching it going like, wow, I can't believe this is a movie that's going to be in the movie theaters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to really pray because... If we want to see more films that are mm-hmm. uplifting and yeah. and hopefully not the the trite Christian stories mm-hmm. necessarily, I mean we don't want a a Christian version of the Hallmark Channel, so to speak. Yeah, we want something more substantial than mm-hmm. that, and Christianity delivers that right. And we need to pray for filmmakers, and we need to pray for artists, and we need to pray for actors, and we need to pray for Hollywood because though this film will live, it will reach in that opening weekend, God willing up to 10 million people, and eventually up to 100 million people. And then it will go on to streaming platforms and other things and be seen around the world. So when something like this is harnessed by the gospel for good, we need to pray that we can see more of that. Yes. And um, so I would encourage everybody to go to the theaters. Um, It's opening on September 24th. Invite your friends, invite your non-believing friends because, you know, you never know. Just say, hey, come see this movie. It's actually pretty cool. There's some pretty cool secular songs that they've used in this. They tell the story of a generation and um, hopefully the theaters will be packed. And and if they are on that opening weekend, what Lionsgate does is they throw more money at it. Right. They throw more money into promotion, buying out more, opening it in more theaters. So uh, it's not that we want more money to pour into Hollywood. That's not the point for us as believers. It's like, thank you for doing this, Lionsgate. Thank you. And we are going to leverage this for the kingdom. Thank you to Lionsgate. That's what we all need to say. Thank you, Lionsgate. (laughs) Surprise. Uh, (laughs) Who would have ever said that? Right. I mean, seriously, two or three years ago that we would ever say something like that. It's nothing short of a, a shift. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing a part of your life with us today. And I'm super encouraged by our conversation. Um, and um, I look forward to, to seeing you again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts. Executive produced by Jamie Ivey. Produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Edited by Angie Elkins. Art by Jen Jet Barrett. Original music by Matt Graham. And I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend.